We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Nosotros crecemos cuando damos. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. Welcome to ROG, Return on Generosity. I'm your host, Shannon Cassidy. This podcast celebrates generosity at work, not financial giving. Giving valuable time, mutual respect, alternative perspectives, and genuine collaboration. Our guest today is Dr. Omolara Thomas Umadimo. She is a board-certified pediatrician for over 15 years and an academic faculty for over a decade, mentoring women physicians of color. She is CEO and founder of Melanin Medicine and Motherhood, as well as the CEO of Strong Children Wellness. She's an expert in medical racism, addresses equity for women physicians in healthcare, and eliminating health inequities for marginalized children and families. Her work has been featured on NBC News, Essence.com, Newsweek, NPR, and many others. Welcome to ROG, Dr. Omalara. Hi, thank you so much, Shannon. I'm super excited to be here. I'm grateful to have you and so glad to get to meet you and learn more about you. So tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so I am a born and raised New Yorker. Usually that's enough for people to know um, but <laughs> and get an idea. But I um, grew up in um, Brooklyn and then was raised in Queens, New York. I am a black woman with Nigerian parents, so I'm a second gen immigrant. And I think both of those pieces, growing up in New York and being the daughter of immigrants, really shaped a lot of how I see the world. Um, From five, I knew that I wanted to be a pediatrician that early and pretty much set out on trying to do that. One of the big things I think for me was being so driven. We, I started med school at 18 and then pretty much decided to go on a, a career towards global health. Ended up in academia, did some research, and got burnt out, honestly, from doing all of the things, which I know we'll, we'll probably get into, and decided that it was time for me to kind of create my own rules and create my own spaces and ended up leading two companies, <laughs> which has been absolutely one of the biggest joys of my, of my life. And, and I think actually entrepreneurship saved my life, to be very honest. So, yeah. Mm. Oh, wow. Tell us a little bit about that. What was going on and what was what was the pressure like in academia? Yeah. So I think, you know, honestly, what I'll say about the the space is that it it doesn't have to be overt, direct like issues that address or, or confront you. It's kind of a space where you're socialized that academia is the pinnacle and you showing up as a black woman in this space where not many of us move into those spaces that it almost feels like a certain burden that you're carrying for your entire race, right? While other people and other physicians may get to have their own, as an individual, their own reputation, what happens. A lot of times what we do, we're both invisible and hyper-visible at the same time. And our actions, our words, they can reverberate for our those who look like us and so i think what came up which i know as someone who supports a lot of black women in healthcare now was this idea of perfectionism and this idea of not letting anyone see you sweat to say it colloquially and i think there was also this lack of being able not being able to be myself 
And I think that that was really difficult for me. Um, and I think there's just a lot of pressure for many of us. There's um, this entity called stereotype threat. I'm not sure if your, your um, audience is familiar with it, but the idea that we are concerned about a particular stereotype that may exist in the world about people who look like us. And so we do above and beyond to count, contradict it, even if it's to our own detriment. So that meant sometimes staying up late because I didn't want people to think my notes were, were not great. Or that meant um, doing, you know, reviewing everything before I was in rounds with patients so that no one could say I, I didn't know the answer. So those are some of the, the burdens. And after a while, it felt like two jobs. And so, you know, at some point my body gave out and I actually developed a chronic illness. Oh my goodness. I'm so sorry to hear that. So how did entrepreneurship save your life? Yeah. So Shannon, in the midst of, you know, I would say in the midst of academia, I was juggling so much. I didn't even even actually realize how much this inability for me to say no caused me to pretty much have five jobs instead of one. I was an, an associate professor and teaching in our public health school. I was seeing patients who were marginalized, low income patients. I was also heading a global health program. I was running two research projects. And um, at some point, this one point where I literally walked into my patient's room and that was in September, 2018, and I could find no joy. As a pediatrician walking to this like little two-year-old who's a bundle of joy and just feeling so drained. And at that point, I knew I was a danger to myself <laughs> and I knew I was a danger to my patients. And so I reluctantly asked to step away for a while. Unfortunately, what I was thinking would give me space, I was just conditioned to fill out that space and ended up doing more advocacy work. And just, just it didn't even look like I had taken anything off of my plate. And ultimately, in May 2019, six months later, I found myself hospitalized um, because within a week I had lost the ability to walk. Um, and two weeks in the hospitalization, I found out I was diagnosed with an autoimmune brain disorder called multiple sclerosis. Oh my gosh. So what did you do? I mean, how did that lead you to where you are now? Yeah, so I think a few things were really important. One was just to tell you how conditioned I was. When I found out I was um, hospitalized, I took my laptop to the to the hospital I, <laughs> I was like i could type and then i and then i couldn't type actually so um i was having nausea due to the where the lesion was i was having nausea and um dizziness and so i couldn't do that and thank god i couldn't because i think that was really really difficult to to navigate what happened though during that time was i had to sit and be alone with my thoughts as I did that, I recognized that it was only work that defined me. I had nothing else that I had been holding on to. I had even deferred family and deferred my two daughters and, you know, in the place of work. And so my, my brother asked me while I was at hospitalized, he said, what brings you joy? And don't tell me working with patients, just what brings you joy? Like, what do you like to do? And I couldn't answer. And that put me on this road to figuring out like, why am I here? Like, what is it? Like, is it to work myself into the ground or why am I here? And then I realized that I'd never done that work and it 
led me to this having this autoimmune disorder. And when I read up about this, I realized that a lot of black women, particularly black women as a subgroup, as education and income increases, unlike other subgroups, our health outcomes don't decrease. Our health outcomes actually plateau or increase adverse health outcomes. And so higher rates of infertility, higher rates of chronic autoimmune disorders. Uh, and understanding that, I realized this is not a one-time thing or uncommon thing, that this is actually the norm for us. And I opened a Facebook group because I had nothing else to do. I was on leave for four, <laughs> for four months. And, and I was like, this, I don't know what to do with myself. And I opened a Facebook group because I just wanted to connect with other women who maybe were in this journey because I just didn't want anyone to experience what I had experienced. And in that time, women started disclosing and I started sharing what my journey was in terms of understanding what my purpose, mission, my vision was. And um, women started asking if they could work with me. And I was like, I, I'm not sure what you mean. I'm a pediatrician. <laughs> and then and then all of a sudden it came to it came to being that hey maybe this is something that I'm supposed to be doing and supporting other women. And shortly thereafter melanin medicine and motherhood came to life. Yeah, so initially I'll be very frank I'll tell you cuz I think this is really important for other entrepreneurs. When we started it was called Supermom Rehab. <laughs> <laughs> That was oh, what hilarious. was most prevalent for me. And then as we moved forward, I realized that there was a certain subgroup. I actually, during this time, which is so important for us as people who are either starting businesses or doing things, is to recognize where is the actual gap, right? And I recognized that there, as I was looking at this space, I was like, there are a lot of spaces for Black women to really get support. But there was a certain subgroup, which were the Black women physicians, who even in this Facebook group were silent, completely silent. And it was almost like a lack of safety, a lack of like, can I really be the person with the questions? Because I'm always the person with the answers. And so in January, I decided to really hone in on Black women healthcare professionals. And we started with work-life integration support. And then a lot of our women started recognizing that the jobs that they were in were not what, what they needed to do with their lives. We had a lot of women who ended up resigning and we were helping them to support mapping out what their vision was, which included entrepreneurship. And so that's where we are right now. We support them through the work-life integration. And also we provide support around business strategy and helping them build out the places that they can fit, the places that they can feel free. Wow. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Dr. Omalara, for sharing that background and the evolution of the ways in which you, I, I'm, I'm hearing your story as your generosity story, because it sounds to me like you've been given a set of talents and gifts and you have been finding all kinds of creative ways to leverage those gifts, be it in academia, as a physician, then starting this Facebook group. But I wonder, the, just out of curiosity, what is the percentage of Black women in medicine? Yes. Yeah, so it is not very high. Uh, so we, out of every and all of the physicians, only 2% of them are Black women. So two out of every 100 physicians that you'll meet will be Black women. And that number has not changed for 70 years. But I think there hasn't been a huge transformation in terms of making healthcare 
institutions, academic or non-academic, places where they can thrive and then remain in medicine. We have a lot of women who are moving out of caring for in medicine because one, the places that they've been taught are the quote unquote safe places at larger institutions are really difficult. And then we a lot of times have been taught that we can't actually create our own spaces. You can't like build your own practice. It's going to need this much capital or you're going to you know, the, the big, in, huge, giant um, healthcare organization is going to eat you up anyway. It shouldn't have to look like this. And we have other ideas, but we can't allow, they, they're not allowed to cultivate inside of here. And what we're doing is supporting women to find funding, to be able to, to do the same thing and look at the practice that they envision or how they envision to change medicine and let's create it. When we come back, Dr. Omalara will share her thoughts about how to manage our ego and overcome fear. Hey, Calvin here. Join me, Brandon, Christina, and Lee on the Straight Up Show podcast on all your podcast platforms. Straight Up is a show that discusses topics you want to talk about but won't hear about in mainstream media. Topics ranging from how COVID-19 impacted the Asian community to how cartoons are therapeutic to hardworking adults. So we invite you to join the conversation. But if you do, we only have one rule on our show. You got to be straight up. And we're back with Dr. Omolara Uemadimo, CEO and founder of Melanin Medicine and Strong Children Wellness. Something that you posted on Twitter recently really struck a chord with me where you said fear is an emotion that's self-created and therefore can be self-eliminated. Yes, I did say right? that. So yep. Yeah. <laughs> it actually came from an office hours that I had. So in Melanin Medicine, what we do is we do um, office hours. It's coaching. We're supporting women through this evolution and transformation. We're supporting them with business strategy. And, we, and as you may imagine, right, creating anything the first thing is our ego is going to be like, this is not what we signed up for. Like, no, no, this is completely the opposite. And so fear becomes the topic du jour of a lot of our conversations and how do we overcome it? And we did an exercise where we started to recognize that, how, that you know, when we're thinking about what we want to do, we it's not the thing that scares us. Like, it's like we talked about, I want to do this, but I'm scaring myself by imagining fill in the blank. And then we realize, oh, it's not the thing. It's what I'm doing to myself by imagining this thing. So let's try to imagine something different. Let's just do something really, really crazy. Let's shake it up. And as they were going through multiple rounds of this exercise, it, it allowed for them to start to imagine what the opposite looked like. And when we started to put things into bucket, we realized Fear is this emotion that can change as long as we've thought about mitigation plans around the roadblocks and the considerations. And then the fear kind of just like dissipate. Yeah, it dissipates. So here you are, the CEO of two businesses and multiple other responsibilities. How is it that you have witnessed generosity at work? Where do you see it play out in the workplace? Yeah, so, you know, running two businesses means 
Um, I like to think about as your business grows, you go from you go from caring for your clients in a way to now caring for your team, right? And being like, because your team is now helping you really provide those services at the highest quality. And I think one of the beautiful things that I love about our team, I would say generosity, I think is most, I can see it most in my team because I'm pouring so much into them so that they can really show up and show out for, for our clients as well as to our clients. But I think at work, the gratitude, we always start with gratitude in the beginning of our meetings, which is ex- really nice. I'm a spiritual person. And so we usually will, and my team members are, and so we'll usually pray. And I think giving them the space to bring, merge those, those things together has really been important. I think another big thing is having the time for, for, for each, every person to train everyone else, like just being able to have not just like the hierarchical or vertical meetings, but having those horizontal meetings where it isn't a siloed department, like this department takes care of this and this department takes care of that. It's really communal. One of the other things I think as a startup is the fact that we may not have all of the money yet to start like do retirement IRAs and everything. We're working on that. But we started to think about, okay, what are things that can still make us stand out and be a good company. And one of those things was really having a four day work week. I was really excited about saying, okay, how can we run this company to do that? How can we run this company to include profit sharing? How can we run this company to include covering costs for like the professional development and things that they see that, that, that they think are going to make them better? And, and those were the things that we could implement as we grow and are able to then bring other kind of more traditional benefits. And I think they felt restored and rewarded and really exciting, um, really excited to just move for- forward and do this work. Oh, that's incredible. Thank you for that. Really, it's a reminder to start meetings with gratitude, to have a collaborative type of a culture where people help each other learn and grow and train, and then to have some form of model where everybody's benefiting from the work. So what would be an example of generosity in your own career? Like where has somebody really supported you or helped you in a way that was really meaningful? Yeah, I think, you know, it honestly, it sounds simple but it was just being seen. I think that I didn't recognize how deeply invisible I felt in many spaces. I remember being in meetings and kind of being the content expert for the topic and raising my hand to speak and never like everyone kind of like, just no no one realizing I was there or, you know, just in terms of, not ever feeling like I could share how I feel because my experiences were different from the majority of people in in the spaces that I worked in. And so I think when I've been able to have spaces, both, you know, from every color and every walk of life and every gender, like people who really were like, hey, I want to know what's going on with you. Like, and kind of it's not work related. It's about like what's happening with you. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners can relate to that. So just for everybody to reflect on what does bring you joy and who's the person in your life who will ask you a question like that? And how can you ask yourself a question like that? And do you have any specific examples of how you were seen? Like, did people just 
give you attention. They wanted to like actually find out more about you. And then you can be yourself and you can be vulnerable and you could be honest and you could share some of the challenges that you're experiencing and have a two-way conversation about the realities of life. Yeah. And people just show up better, right? In that work. So let's say if I'm a team if I'm a boss and I'm asking these things and I'm uncovering it and we're working together on a plan on, ooh, why is that happening? Like, I didn't even know that was happening. Okay, let's think about like, what could we do? It allows for people now to have places of, of safety, places of bravery. I don't even like those words. I, I want, honestly, for us to all have a space in our workplaces of freedom. I don't think we're there yet and I don't know what it's going to take I do know that in the the spaces that we've created, there are a few tenets that are really important. One is really just the self-discovery piece and being able to create spaces that allow for self-discovery. Number two, that I think was has been really important in terms of this this like transformation for a lot of our women to be free, to have freedom spaces, has been self-preservation strategies and starting to think about you know, and prioritizing. How are you? T- how have you? Dr- have you eaten anything today? <laughs> like, how have you taken care of? Just start with the basics, and then I think support and just recognizing that okay, who's got your back? Um, who can hold you accountable, right? And also, who can you strategically delegate to? The biggest thing that I think has been really important has been the um, the strategy and the visioning. We do something called strategic futuring. Uh, I learned it during my four-month medical leave um, from a book called The Future Belongs to Those Who Dare by Priscilla Rose. And it is absolutely fantastic because doing this work about seeing where you are in 15 years and this visualization process and understanding that what you're doing is what you're doing now, bringing you closer to that or taking you away. It's, it's one of the other. That strategic visioning that you're speaking about, Dr. Omalara, is so helpful for us to consider how clear are we about where we're going. So I think that's that really speaks to me. And I think for us to be thoughtful about those key tenants that you referred to, like self-discovery, freedom, and you talked about the self-preservation strategy. Yeah. Audrey Lord talks about that. She says self-preservation, right, is a radical act, right? It's, it's an, an act of political warfare. It's like literally like self-preservation is not just something nice. It's not self-care and it's like, oh, let me, it's literally what we have to do as a survival technique in a world that continually marginalizes and um, keeps us from the center. And so we have to take mm-hmm. care of it because because our world has been socialized not to at all. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how can we be on guard against that so we, can still build our careers and work intentionally toward that vision and make sure that we're taking care of ourselves and not running the risk of a health threat. I think all of us have a role to play, right? If you you always have to kind of, you know, it's funny because from this purview, what I always see when I go into a meeting room or table is who who should be here? Who's not here that who's supposed to be here? And I feel like a lot of people, just because of the purview, not in a malicious way, but just because of the purview and how life has been dealt, they they they're not 
in thinking that way. And so we have to proactively start to do that. All of us have these certain privileges. I am, you know, heterosexual. I, I need to remember kind of who are the people who are on the margins, right? In terms of black women, right? I, there are different layers to that. So how do I use my privilege and power in those sections to say, okay, who else needs to be here? Yes, let's make it a global affair. Oh my gosh, that's how the change is gonna happen. That everybody gets sleeves rolled up and gets involved. <laughs> the Dr. Amalara. What is a favorite quote of yours and what does it say to you? Yeah, so my favorite quote is by Audre Lorde and it's, when we speak, we are afraid our words will not be heard or welcomed. But when we are silent, we are still afraid. So it's better to speak and that visibility which makes us most vulnerable is that which also is the source of our greatest strength. This is really important because I, like I said, very introverted. I have so many thoughts in my head. I have monologues in my head. You will not hear me say one thing and I've already had eight monologues in my head. And I think the thing about it was always feeling like, well, what's that person gonna think? What's this person going to think? And it got to a space when I realized at that juncture, that inflection point, that all of that keeping it in and not saying and being silent was not protective. It was actually <laughs> killing me in the process. Like, and, and the cortisol and the tension and all of that. I, I developed an autoimmune disorder, for goodness sakes, um, from holding that in. And so now I am really excited about what Audre Lorde talks about because it is our greatest strength, but it also is a space that allows for us to stay alive by being able to tap into that. Not to say it's not scary, and it's, and it's definitely hard for women of color to speak, but I think it's a muscle that we have, to, we have to start doing. And the hope is that as people hear our stories, you know, I love to tweet, I'm a Twitter addict, but as people hear our stories that people start to recognize and open and, and start, to start to see our visibility, and say that that's actually important to know. And I'm, now I'm gonna remember how to adjust accordingly. Yes, ah, thank you for that. So speaking of Twitter, where can people find you? <laughs> so we have a, a nice main link that is like easy, but Twitter is my favorite place. So I'm at Dr. Omolara, D-R-O-M-O-L-A-R-A, but we have a main link for all of our stuff, which is um, Melanin Medicine Co. It's bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y. Melanin Medicine CO. Um, and, you know, people can always reach out to me. I love answering messages and DMs and things like that. And people can learn more about our practice, which is in New York, if any of your listeners are in New York, at strongchildrenwellness.com. <laughs> Excellent. And they can participate in, in your online community as well. Yes. Yeah, definitely. If they're, you can go to bit.ly Melanin Medicine Co. and you can see all of the different courses and programs that we have. And you can, and all of our um, social media links are there too. Oh, fantastic. Well, thank you for being a force for good and for finding all kinds of creative ways to make an impact. You are truly a force of nature and somebody that I deeply appreciate. Thank you so much for this opportunity, Shannon. I am truly just excited about your questions and this podcast and just your mission. And it really brings me joy. Thank you. ROG Takeaway Tip. 
how to apply what we've learned to our own work and lives. Of the many things we learned from Dr. Omolara, let's focus on three that we can apply. Finding joy, being seen, and being adaptable. Number one, what brings you joy? It's a harder question than it sounds. Let's first differentiate happiness and joy. Happiness is external and fleeting. I feel happy when I sip a fresh cup of coffee. Joy is internal, deeper, lasting. I feel joy when I see the text from my daughter and think about how much I love her. What brings you joy? What activities, people, topics, and experiences bring you real internal joy? How often do you engage in those things? How can you commit more time and energy to the things that bring you joy? Number two, being seen and seeing others. Are you seen? Does anyone notice if you're having a good day or a bad one? Aside from your external appearance, like your outfit or your hair, does anyone notice you? Do you notice others? Who may feel invisible on your team? How can you recognize them and amplify their voice? Sometimes it's as easy as repeating something that they said or holding space for them to share their thoughts. Number three, being adaptable. Dr. Omalara adapted the name of her business to appeal to a broader audience and adapted her whole life and career after working to the point of illness. What wake-up call are you experiencing? Is it a subtle pain or has it taken away one of your abilities? Do you need to adapt to appeal to a different or larger audience in your life or career? How will adapting your routine or priorities honor your self-love? What needs to adapt in your life? And what help do you need to make that possible? Join us next week for Jose Peranian, a lifelong stutterer turned Forbes-featured global TEDx speaker on inclusion and resilience. Until next week, stay generous, everyone. Thanks for listening to ROG, Return on Generosity podcast. Please help us grow by subscribing and reviewing us on your favorite podcast player. And for more information, visit bridgebetween.com. We grow when we give. We grow when we give. We grow when we give.